Good morning, Christ Church. Good morning. As some of you know, my name is Katie Brown. Um, you heard a few weeks ago. Thank you. I love I love our church class. <laughs> it's fun. Um, Dad talked about some of the staff changes that have been going on. I've been leading Old Brooklyn uh, campus for seven years, and our friends Jovan and Logan are going to be stepping into leading, and I'm going to become the executive pastor here at Christ Church. So, thank you. <laughs> um, so some questions have come up that I thought I would answer for you. Um, this doesn't mean Dad is going anywhere. Preacher still has some sermons to preach, I promise you very much, and... When that day comes down the road, you will know, and you will not be surprised by it, I promise. And then the other question is, like, what does that mean? What's an executive pastor do? And um, I'm going to partner with Dad as the lead pastor and our campus pastors from the organizational side of the church. As the church is go growing, God's been doing an amazing work. We want to keep creating structures that help the church to grow, not just this year and next year, but 10 years, 20 years, 50 years outside of us that help bless the church. So my job's going to be organizationally, working with the staff, working with our finance office, working with leaders and building an internship program so we can create new spaces for new leaders to lead. God willing, new campus pastors and new ministries and new staff, all with the hope that God is going to bless this good work. So I hope that feels helpful, clears up some questions. Let me say a prayer for us. Dear Father, you are good and we trust you. With all our heart, we know that we can depend on you, and we are thankful that you are a God we can turn to. We are thankful that you are a God we uh, have utmost confidence that you hear us when we call. I pray that you would open our hearts, encourage our minds, and strengthen our spirits in your good word today, Father, that we might be uh, strengthened to do the work you've given us to do, that we would be strong and courageous and do this good work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, some years ago, I came across a really interesting idea from Rachel Hollis, and it, it, it really, today's October 1st, so if you know how the calendar works, that means we have 90 days till the end of the year. Isn't that crazy? I, I know we had summer, I'm pretty sure I blinked and I missed it, but we have 90 days from now until the end of the year, and her idea was, what if we finished the year off strong? We make a plan right now for who we want to be going into the holidays and into the end of the year. Instead of just rolling into the holidays and getting to January and be like, oh man, I got to start all over. I got to set some new goals. I got to have some new year resolutions. The idea was, what if we use the last 90 days of the year to set ourselves up for success? Because this is what she said, the last three months of the year tend to be the most stressful of the entire year and if you don't have a plan, you will resort to negative behavior. Because the last three months of the year are typically when you interact with extended family, and if that family is stressful at best, or toxic at worst, and you don't have a plan to deal with them, you will become the worst version of yourself around them. And then finally, because the last three months of the year are typically when we make the worst decisions regarding our health. We eat more, drink more, move less, and if you don't have a plan, you'll reach for bad coping me mechanisms. Doesn't that all ring true? <laughs> we know who we've been at this time of year before. And so her suggestion was this five to thrive challenge. Over the next 90 days, make a goal to do these five things every single day. So the first one was get up an hour earlier than you normally do. 
You know, we all have the excuse, I don't have enough time in the day, right? We go to bed exhausted, worn out, we get up, we start all over again. What if you got up an hour early and used that time just for yourself? The second suggestion was move your body every day for 30 minutes. It's not you have to do this or that, but somehow work out moving your body for 30 minutes. Third, drink half of your body weight in ounces of water each day. It's funny how sometimes just a good glass of water makes a big difference. Makes you feel so much better. Fourth, give up one food category you know you shouldn't be eating. You know. Nobody needs to tell you this one. You know. And finally, write down five things that you're grateful for every single day. I came across this actually right before COVID. And I had all of the, do you have, did anybody have like plans going into COVID? Like I had some goals. Guys, they were really good goals. I did not accomplish those goals. <laughs> those goals went totally to the wayside. But having a structure that I had started did create space for me to have some healthy habits going into a really hard time of life. Now, the purpose of doing things now is to be a better version of ourselves later, right? We are where we are today, and the only way we change in the future is if we create new patterns and new habits for ourselves right now. We create space in our life to incorporate healthy practices. One of my favorite authors on habits is uh, James Clear, and he says, if you can get 1% better each day for one year, you will end up 37 times better by the time you're done. Now, 1% is small, right? It's incremental. I can measure it. I can see it. But think about it from the other side. If you get 1% worse each day for a year, you will decline nearly to zero. We get to decide right now, do I want to grow? Do I want to create healthy space in my life so that I can be 1% better each day? Or do I want to just do what I've always done and then complain about the result for where I am when things aren't working? One of the best blessings of our life is every single one of us is capable of changing and growing. Now, there's so much in our life we can't control. I feel like every day is a reminder of you are not in control of this. Get used to it, right? But there are things we can control. And while the things outside of my life I can't control, I always have control of how I respond. My choices, my habits, my response, that is in my power to control. And if we want to grow into better human beings emotionally, physically, spiritually, we have to create better, healthy habits to be the people we want to be. What if we determined right now to create healthy rhythms for ourselves that set us up for success next year. Instead of waiting to January 2nd, nobody feels bad on January 1st. Usually it's like January 2nd, that first week that's kind of lost in time, and you just are like, Ugh, I hate, you know, you don't feel good. What if instead of waiting to get there, we created rhythms for ourselves right now to say, what does it look like to be the healthiest version of me that God created me to be? As a church, we're doing this all-church emphasis together. And the goal of the all-church emphasis is to become more healthy spiritually, right? We can look up diet plans to uh, eat right and exercise plans to get physically healthy. But what help and guidance do we have to grow ourselves into more healthy beings in our relationships 
with God? What tools are we incorporating to help our faith grow and to get to know God better this year than we did last year? And the goal of the all-church emphasis, we're going to be using the book by Charles Swindoll, is So You Want to Be Like Christ, is to help create healthy rhythms for ourselves to get into a place where we create rhythms to get to know God better. Charles Swindoll said, Achieving anything requires discipline. Determine deliberate, definable actions with a clear goal in mind. What's our goal? Our goal is to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. doesn't happen overnight. The beautiful part about saying yes is you are saved in a minute. That, that instant that you receive Christ, that instant where faith blooms and you believe, you're saved. But then it takes a lifetime of growth to grow into who God's given us the potential to be. It takes day after day after day. My habits don't change overnight. i got to cultivate new ones. My character doesn't just become shiny and new in an instant. It takes work and awareness and the gift of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you're kind of a jerk there. You should think about that more. And so for us to grow in these areas, we need space in our life to get to know God better. The practice of learning um, how to be more like Christ isn't just to be more religious. It's not just so we know how to say the right religious thing at the right religious time. It's to know Christ better. Because when we know Christ better, everything feels different. When we know Christ better, everything feels different in our life, in our faith, in our possibility, and in our potential. And so what we call the spiritual disciplines is the work to grow in the area of being more like Christ. Christ. It's ways that we just put ourselves in the path of God's grace, looking for him, seeking him, right? An athlete trains their body, a musician practices their instrument. Our spiritual exercises that we do in our life are the things that draw us nearer to God and more into the kind of people that he's created us to be. And it requires practice. It's not like you're just a bad Christian, right? It's just what practices do we have to grow with Christ? What are we going to do this week to spend time with him to know him better? And spiritual transformation, it's just not a matter of me trying harder, right? It's not just about like self-control and willing myself into being a kind of person. It's training wisely. And it's using these activities, these disciplines, to create space and opportunities in my life for God to work. To carve out moments, because life is busy, and it's loud, and it's noisy, and it's chaotic, and it's urgent, and there's always a demand for something. But it's carving out intentional times where I turn away from that, and I just turn to God instead. If I want to be like Christ, i got to know him better i got to know who it is I'm trying to grow in a relationship with. And so that's what we're going to be studying together over all these upcoming weeks. If you haven't joined a life group yet, I encourage you. It's a great place to study these ideas together in a group, in a community of people just like you who are trying to figure this out. So we're going to start today by looking at the idea of prayer. This is what Paul says to us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we always have to just have like a, a, a thoughtful response when it says don't, right? Because our do's and our don't list, we feel like, okay, I made God happy. I did this. I didn't do this. Why does Paul say don't be anxious, right? How many times in the Bible it says do not be afraid, uh, be strong and courageous? Why is that command there? Because life creates anxiety, right? Just the day-to-day -day living creates stress and worry and fear. And Paul's not saying, I just want you to pretend that that never happens. I just want you to grin it and bear it and tough it out and squash it all down, compartmentalize it, and then move on to the other stuff. What he's saying is, this happens, and you have resources to deal with it when it does. Paul's not saying, well, don't care about anything at all so that you never get worried or stressed. Don't really have anything that matters to you, and then you don't ever experience fear. He's saying, no, there are going to be moments when life creates anxiety in you, and you have resources available to you to help you push back. When anxiety pops up, it doesn't have to win. Stress doesn't get to determine who you're going to be today. Fear doesn't get the final say because life is difficult. It can feel overwhelming and hard. But instead, Paul reminds us, we have resources to deal with it when it is. Everybody's stress feels different. What stresses me out might be a, a walk in the park to you. What stresses you out, I might not have ever had to worry about. But stress is universal, right? Anxiety affects everybody. One of my favorite definitions of stress is this. Stress is the perception that the situations we're facing are greater than the resources we have to deal with them. Resources such as time, energy, ability, and help from others. When the situation seems harder than I have resources to deal with, I feel stressed out. They did a study some years ago, and people were asked to list out all of the things that they were worried about over an extended period of time. Now, imagine you're the person who wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning. This probably doesn't happen to you, just the rest of us. But, like, you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and you know that list of things that you can't stop thinking about? That you can't do anything to solve in the morning. moment. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Nobody problem solves at 3 o'clock in the morning. But that list of things that keep you up at night, those list of worries. So people listed all of the things out they worried about. And then sometime later, they followed up with them to pick out what of the things you were worrying about actually happened. So it was just a really interesting study. And here's what they discovered. 85% of what people worried about never happened. Just never happened. And they said with the 15% that did, 79% of the people who were studied found they could either hand, handle the difficulty better than they'd expected or the difficulty taught them something that they found worthwhile. So if you're a math genius and you know how to run numbers, I'm not. I let them tell me the math. They said this means 97% of what we worry about is no more than fearful minds punishing us with exaggerations and misconceptions. Isn't that, that's what we do. Because worry feels like, well, I can't do anything about it, but I can worry about it, right? I feel productive when I'm worrying because I'm using my energy, I'm using my time. But I love this. Worry is like blood pressure. You need a certain level to live, but too much can kill you. At its worst, worry is insidious, invisible, a rentless scavenger roaming the corners of your mind, feeding on anything it finds. 
It sets upon you unwanted and unbidden, feasting on the infinite array of negative possibilities in life, diminishing your enjoyment of friends, family, achievements, and physical being because you live in fear of what might go wrong. See, what Paul's telling us is, that's real. That happens. But when it does, we don't have to rob ourselves of right now. We don't have to lose ourselves in the anxiety. We have resources available to push back when these kind of things happen. How do we create resources? What do we do here? I love, I've been on a big Ryan Holiday kick. I don't know if anybody's read him before. And um, he loves going through like philosophy and the Stoics. And he talks about this idea of astronauts, when they train to go to space, one of the biggest things they train them on is not panicking. Because when you panic, what happens? You lose your training. <laughs> you go for, you don't know which button to push. You don't know, you deviate from the plan. You react instead of using your training to make smart decisions. And what he said was, panic has to be trained out and it doesn't go easily. But, listen, uncertainty and fear are relieved by authority. Training is authority. And I want to connect this to what Paul's saying here because it's so so huge. Look one more time what he says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. When you do, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying? We have authority over the worries and the fears and the anxieties and the lies that our minds like to cook up, instead of worrying about what I can't control, I turn myself to the one who eternally has been in control. I put myself in the presence of God who has eternally, historically held all things together. And he's good at it. He's not going to drop the ball on our watch. He's going to be good at it even when I'm not here anymore with anything to worry about. And Paul says, our resource, our alternative to the exhausting habit of worry is pray about everything. Prayer is our reminder. We aren't in this alone. There is somebody who's in control, and they're good at being in control. There is a God we can count on, and he has not surrendered his authority, not in my life and not in yours, not in this world, not in this church, not in this community. God isn't done yet. And prayer turns me from what I can't control to someone who is in control. Prayer is a habit. It's a training that we can incorporate into our life something we can practice, something within our ability. And here's what Swindoll reminds us about prayer. Because you've picked up pieces about prayer over your life, right? You've heard this, you've heard that, pray this way, don't pray this way. Pray. Okay, let's just get a little bit of understanding about what prayer is and what prayer isn't. So Swindoll tells us that a primary purpose of prayer is connecting with God in order to transfer his will into our life. It is collaborating with God to accomplish his goals. 
And it is a vital expression of our trust in God, of his, uh, we know he's got this. We're devoted, we're committed to him, and we can connect with him. And he says, you know what, what is prayer not? Sometimes it's helpful to know something by what it's not. He said it's not bargaining. To reduce prayer to cheap marketing scheme insults the character of God. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not saying, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. God, if you show up for me here, then I'll do this. Have you ever been in a bargaining mode before? Usually it's crisis. Like, God, if you could just fix this right now, then I'll be this kind of person, I pray. Prayer isn't meant to be bargaining chips with God. We miss the character of God when we think that that's what God requires from us. He's not a genie that we just rub the lamp to get the wish when we want it to show up. But neither is it this painful, laborious, he says it is not a painful, laborious marathon of monotonous misery entered into for hours each day to prove one's piety to God. Well, God, I prayed for three hours today, and I said a lot of words, right? That's not what prayer is. It's not the repetition of the same words over and over. It is an authentic seeking of God. It's an authentic time with God reminding ourselves who is in control. If God just wanted religious people, he could have done a lot of things different. He could have created us different. He could have created the world different. What does God want? A relationship with you and I, which is why we have Jesus Christ. We pray because God listens. And that seems like such a small thing, but don't, lo don't lose that for a second. Who really listens to you? and cares, and wants your best outcome, always. Who is always there, no matter the time or the day? Who has genuinely sought you out your entire life, actively pursuing you for your best life? But God, it's no small thing that the God who created everything wants me to talk to him. It's no small thing that the creator of the heavens and the earth and this beautiful world that we lived in wants me to take a, st a small, still moment and just open up my heart to him. We pray because God listens. We pray because we have a confidence that God hears us when we do. You're not a hassle to him. He doesn't get your line to heaven and go, oh, great. Here we go again, right? Do you ever get a phone call and you're like, Jesus, take the wheel. I got to do this one, right? That's not how God feels about you when you reach out to him. You're not a hassle, an annoyance, or a nuisance. Paul says in every situation, in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, what does that mean? Because maybe there's some words your translation might say supplication, and you're like, I don't know what these words mean. All right, petition is a request. It's, it's a need. It's a seeking and asking. It's going to God and seeking him out and saying, this is what's going on in me. This is what's going on in my life. Not because God doesn't know, but friends, maybe we need to tell him. Not because God is surprised by you or shocked by you, but maybe we need to stop acting like he's over there and I'm over here 
and he doesn't know. Maybe the seeking out of God is him at work in us, not just because everything's going to happen the way that I want it to happen. God wouldn't be a good God if that was how it worked, right? You have kids. If you said yes to every request, you wouldn't be a good parent, right? God wants what's best for us, and we get to seek him out and tell him, this is what's going on in my life. I can't do it without you. We get to pour out our hearts. We get to lay out what's in us to him. We get to take our needs to God. And then we partner that, what Paul says, with thanksgiving. And this is us expressing our gratitude to God for what he's done. I started a gratitude journal years ago, and I'm telling you, it's been a healthy thing in my life because it's easy to not see the good. If you had a hard day before, it's easy to miss the good because all you see is the hard. And it is easy to miss that just because this moment is hard, this moment isn't my entire life. It's a moment in my life, right? But it's not my entire life. And gratitude puts us back in the thought and thinking of God is good. Just because this is hard doesn't mean God stopped being good. Gratitude is me saying to God, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the things that I can see, what happened this day, this week, this life, this work, this family, this church, this community. The sun rose today, right? We can always find something to be thankful for when we're looking because we see what we're looking for. And if we only see the bad and we never go looking for the good, we'll miss it. And so we bring our hearts to God and we bring our gratitude to God. But think about how this counteracts. Fear is everything's wrong. It's terrible. Everything's going to, have you been that way before? Everything's terrible. Nothing is good. Anxiety is the future is falling apart. Nothing good is ever going to happen. Worry is, and you know what, by the way, there's nothing you can do. Now just think about that. Stew on it for a little bit, right? Okay, that's what fear says and anxiety says and worry says. But what does gratitude say? Gratitude says God is in control. He's faithful. He's good. His love endures forever. If he has eternally held everything together, why would I think that he has stopped now? If there's nothing else we can think to be thankful of for, what if we just start here? You know what shocks me again and again and again? God thinks the best of us. I don't know if that's the God you know, but God thinks the best of you. We've given him every reason not to. Like, I've given God so many reasons to be like, all right, I'm done. Let's move. Wrap it up, right? But God continues to think the best of us. His love isn't temporary. It endures forever. It is steadfast, steadfast, constant, and true. And our souls need to remember that. Our hearts need to be reminded that God is gracious and good. He saves us. He set this whole plan in motion, not because I'm good, but because he is good. I'm loved, not because I'm just so wonderfully lovable he couldn't help himself, but because God is eternally loving. You're seen. You're known. You're understood. And when we think about God, 
and thank him in that kind of way, it shapes our hearts and redirects our minds for good. Look, God loves me on my best days, and he loves me on my worst days. There's nothing I've ever been able to do that has let God love me more, but there's nothing I've ever done that has made God love me less. It's not going to change his mind about you. Here's how we know. While we were still enemies, Christ gave his life for us. Who does that? And now that we're friends, now that we're part of the family, why would we think that he would leave us or abandon us now? He's available to you and to I, and there is never a time that you turn to God that he will not be there waiting for you. So Swindoll urges us, listen to what he says, pray, <laughs> start your day with prayer and continue praying on and off throughout the day. Pray as you drive, pray at work, pray before your lunch break, pray when you get that difficult phone call, pray when you're disappointed by something, pray when surprises come, pray when you triumph, pray in the midst of painful news, literally pray without ceasing. Because Paul says all this prayer leads to the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love, sometimes the message translation is so fun on these verses. The message says it this way, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. <clears throat> it's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. When we redirect our mind, when we remember that God is in control, and we turn to him, and we take our worries and our fears and our anxieties and our stress and all of the life that's going on, we have a resource of peace we can't find anywhere else. Life isn't peaceful. <laughs> There's moments of it, right? There's glimmers of it. Do you ever go back through your pictures and be like, man, I wish I could go back to that spot. That one moment was so good, but that moment is gone right now. That moment is a distant, fleeting memory, and it doesn't feel that way today. But the peace of God cannot be robbed from you on any day ever. The peace of God transcends what is going on in your life right now because it's not fixed to what's happening. It's not fixed to what the world is doing or what's going on. It's fixed in the assurance of God's control and authority in our life and in this world. Our peace that comes from God, he's at work. He's got it, making all things whole, even the messy and broken things. This idea of peace, mostly we think about peace as like the absence of war, or the absence of conflict, or the absence of bad. But the biblical understanding, one theologian said it this way. There's this beautiful word, word shalom. It's more than the absence of hostility or an inner sense of personal well-being. The nuances contained in the single Hebrew word require a cluster of English terms to adequately represent it. Wholeness, harmony, flourishing, delight, fulfillment. Shalom is the dream of God for a world set right. 
That's the peace that comes from God. That's the peace that's not found in the day-to-day -day activities of life, and it's not found in the things that rob us of joy and wear us down, exhausted and worn out as we crash into bed at the end of the night. This peace and wholeness and delight is found only in connection to Jesus Christ. But look into the imagery that Paul gives us. This is a peace, listen, he says, it guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It's very interesting. The actual like imagery here is a military guard that's set up to prevent a hostile invasion, right? You're a city, there's a gate, enemies are coming to invade, the guards are there. You gotta get through the guard before you can get into the heart of the city. Except, what's Paul talking about? Us. Our hearts, our minds, our souls are the city. And there is an enemy, and it's worry and anxiety and fear. And they want to get into the heart of us. But to get to us, you got to get through Jesus Christ first. There is a guard standing ready at my heart, in my mind, and in the core of my being that guards my sense of self in him. Prayer says, I've posted the best, strongest sentinel guard I can at the gate, and you gotta get through Christ to do any damage to me. You gotta get through him, and I don't know if you know anybody stronger or fiercer, but nobody has your back the way Christ does. He's the one who speaks peace into the midst of the storm. And he speaks it into our lives today. And just as Paul says, don't have this anxiety, turn to prayer. We need guards at the gate of our minds and heart. Because there's always going to be something to worry about. There's always going to be something that wants to get in. Some new stress, some new pressure, some new problem. And we need the connection, the sense of peace and wholeness that comes from Jesus Christ. And I want you to hold this imagery in your mind. When you pray, you are praying that God would place Christ as a guard of your heart and your mind. When you pray, you're pleading with God that Christ would be a sentinel in your life and do what only he can do. He showed us how strong he is. He showed us how good he is. He overcame the worst fear the worst that humanity has to offer. And he claimed victory on the cross. He's ready. He stands ready to protect our hearts and guard our minds. Why does Paul give us these words? Because when worry leaves us exhausted, we have the resource of Jesus Christ to fill us with peace. When anxiety wears us down, Christ renews our hearts and strengthens our minds. When fear leaves you discouraged, Christ will always, always remind you of why you have hope. The problem isn't that Christ doesn't care. The problem isn't that God isn't willing to help. The problem is we've forgotten just who it is that we follow. We've forgotten what he can do. We've forgotten to post our guard, and all the things that shouldn't be there have crept in and taken root. So Paul says, it doesn't have to be that way. Right now, 
today, wherever you are, you have access to the greatest resource you can imagine, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we can pray about every situation. We can turn to God in prayer in every single thing that we face. The question is, will you? Will you pray? Will you carve out time in your day-to-day living, in the busy, in the rush, in the hectic, in the schedule? What would it look like to just carve out space this week to pray? When worry creeps in, instead of getting lost in that loop, sucks you in for hours, instead of getting lost there, will you pray? When you are reminded just how out of control you are with things that matter to you in life, will you pray? Where your heart is thankful, will you pray? You know, we have a history of prayer in this church, and it's why we are exactly where we are today. Because men and women just like you have pleaded with God to move the church forward. And for over 40 weeks, we've been, uh, 40 years, we've been doing this wonderful week of prayer. We do it in the spring and we do it in the fall. And all of our campuses gather together and we pray. We pray for each other. We pray with each other. We pray for the church. We pray for the vision that God wants to accomplish here. We bring our petitions, our needs to God. We bring our thanksgivings to God. What if you made it a goal this week to be at one of the times? There's so many different options. Morning, lunchtime, evening, here, west, or Brooklyn. You can find a spot. What if you made it a goal in your calendar? Because remember, you're going to get up an hour earlier. You got time. What if you made it a goal to be at one week of prayer session every single day? What do you think God might do in your life if you spent that time with him? What do you think God might remind you of in a space like that where every single day you stop, you press pause, and you turn towards God to spending time with him? Let me remind you one more thing that Charles Mendel said. He said, God is a true and very real being. He is not an impersonal force. Prayer is a vital part of our relationship with him. The faith we exercise in prayer is not in seeing specific results for specific requests, but an expression of trust in our almighty, loving Father who cares for us and knows us better than we what we need. He says God promises that he will hear and answer regardless of the time. God promises his presence regardless of the outcome. And God promises inner peace and relief regardless of the chaos and the complication. What if you spent some time in the presence of God this week and you counted on his promises just to see what he might do? Dear Father, I pray that you would help us. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we have an incredible resource in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that we can trust you. I'm thankful that you are a God who hears us when we cry out. I pray that you would energize and strengthen something in every single one of us, not to be overwhelmed by worry, but in everything, in every situation, we would turn to you with hearts of petition and thanksgiving. Father, grant us peace that only could come from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.